Hello, my name is Rodrigo Reyes, and you're listening to Radio Teco. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention? Hello, and welcome to another episode of Radio Teco. My name is Monty Rossetti, and I'm here with Editor-in-Chief Alexis Terrazas, and we have a new friend, Johanna Miyaki, a contributor for El Tecolote. And Alexis, tell us a little bit about today's episode. Man, I'm excited because we're serving up another arts and culture episode where we interview uh, a Mexican-born, Oakland-based uh, filmmaker in Rodrigo Reyes, who actually just came out with uh, with an experimental documentary uh, called 499. Uh, Joanna, as you mentioned, actually interviewed him already uh, for a Q&A uh, that was published in El Tecolote. Uh, so Joanna, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, Rodrigo. Hello, listeners. And we have a really interesting show for you. Rodrigo is a, a filmmaker, as we shared, from Oakland by way of Merced and Mexico. He grew up biculturally, brings a lot of that uh, experience to his work. This is his fourth film release. Uh, it was in the festival circuit last year in 2020. So he's going to talk about releasing a film during the pandemic and tell us all about the filmmaking process and you know what uh, inspired the work. And yeah, I think it's going to be a really great show. All right. Now it's time for me to step aside and let the two pros here have a conversation with Rodrigo. Here we go. And now we're joined by Oakland-based filmmaker Rodrigo Reyes. Rodrigo, how are you doing today? Hey, everyone. I'm doing great. It's uh, such a pleasure to be here in conversation with all of you. It's a pleasure to be in conversation with anyone that's not my husband or my daughter. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that. (laughs) COVID. Um, I'm excited to have Rodrigo with us here because I had the pleasure of interviewing him for the article that ran uh, last week um, in El Teco. And um, I felt like I'd have, I could talk to you forever. So I'm excited to have you here on the show because now everybody can hear um, all about your wonderful film. And just, I thought, you know, in our conversation, hearing about how you grew up uh, between Mexico and uh, I guess that's the sort of Central Valley of California, right? Area? Yeah, yeah. It's really weird. My story is like, I grew up between... Mexico City, well, I was born in Mexico City, and then I came to the Central Valley to Merced, so it was like this really schizophrenic change, you know, from one of the biggest cities in the world to uh, to a, a small town in the Central Valley, but, but you know, from that mix, I think I got a lot of, like, the drive to be a filmmaker and the ideas. That's um, kind of one of the fascinating things I, I found about um, that sort of bicultural upbringing that you had so and because Mexico City is so sort of culturally rich and there's probably um, much livelier film scene I imagine than Merced right so did it start there or did it kind of evolve together like between I mean I was just in love with movies from the time I was a kid you know like um, if you guys have seen that movie Roma like I used to go to movie theaters like that because they were all over Mexico City and I remember going to these like beautiful palatial movie theaters with my parents to watch like 
I think it was like the Aristocats or something like that. <laughs> you know? But I was always really into movies. And um, as we came to the U.S., my 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 parents, especially my dad, kept encouraging me to watch and watch movies. Um, and so we grew up watching all sorts of stuff from like, you know, like action adventure movies like Die Hard to like classic Pedro Infante movies as well. Right. So like we had like this like really informal education of cinema and loving movies, you know, my whole childhood in, bo in both countries. And so um, how did that come to be that your family sort of lived between these two places? Like why, why, why? Well, the reason why my family migrated is like um, my parents are both from a small town in Michoacan called Cotija. You know where Cotija cheese is from? And, uh, I was just about to say that. <laughs> I yeah. love Cotija cheese. <laughs> that's exactly where they're from. And, um, and so that's a region that has seen migration for generations. So mm -hmm. my grandparents were both, um, my grandfathers were both migrants. Um, and they, they were part of the Bracero program. And then they kept doing it as, you know, like the Bracero program got phased out. And some of these guys started staying longer here in the U.S., and and so part of the family ended up here. And so it became like this thing within our family of like, you have the U.S., you have like opportunities there that you can migrate to. So when at a certain point, you know, my parents decided they would try their luck over here. But I actually moved back and forth many times because like we would come over here and try for a few years. And then I think uh, mostly my dad would kind of get tired of it and then he'd go back. You know, because in Mexico he was a teacher. He was a history teacher, and, and over here he, he over. I'm sorry, over here he was a farm worker. He worked in the fields. No, I was just going to ask. And your mom, what what did she do? Was she more at home, like taking care of the family, or did she join your father when you came here in the like the farm working part of it? Oh no, we we. Um, my mom was always working, like in clerical, like secretarial, like that kind of work. Um, but it was really, it was really kind of like, uh, like a two, a clash of two universes. Because in Mexico City, you know, like in the in the late eighties, Mexico City was like a super classy city. It, it was very sophisticated. Uh, and then coming to the Central Valley, it's like no more museums, no more like outings, right. you know. Um, but all of that tied in with the fact that my family's roots are from a small town, like. You know, it's a it's an interesting mix because, like, even when I lived in Mexico, um, I would spend summers with my grandparents in Cotija, right? So, like, we always remembered that we were from this other place, and and migration was always a part of my family. So, you know, we we migrated to Mexico City and then out of Mexico City to the U.S. Rodrigo, you mentioned your uh, your father was a history teacher in, in Mexico. What kind of influence did that have um, on your career? And, of, you know, the love of it's always funny, right? The love of cinema, your father being a history teacher. What kind of influence did that have, um, you know, in your career and your life, as, but specifically as a filmmaker? Well, you know, it's funny because um, my dad never wanted me to be a filmmaker. <laughs> he always said it was like not... Uh, not a reputable job you know it's like a hobby um but but without him for instance we wouldn't have 499 because he's the one 
you know, who took me to to the Museo Nacional de Antropología, right, to watch, to see the the, the artifacts and to learn about Mexican history. Um, and he would also interpret that history for me. And like, you know, he was always very serious about it. Even if I was a little kid, he would talk about it in this very sophisticated way, which I learned about later, you know, like all these uh, concepts that, you know, like history is a construct and how history is developed and all this stuff. Um, that Those are things that my dad was talking about when I was like five years old running around with him. Um, so it's kind of his fault that I got into <laughs> making this movie um, because I fell in love with the history of Mexico. Um, and, and it's funny because as, as, you know, many of us understand like our histories as, as, you know, folks from with, with roots in Latin America, like they're complicated and 99% of the time they're painful histories. They're so painful, right? The history of Mexico is like betrayal after betrayal after betrayal with more betrayal. And so um, it's a painful history, but it's also a very beautiful and very, you know, interesting history with so many things to analyze and to think about. So I learned that way back with my dad, you know, um, and ever since, like when I when I think about a movie, I always think about the ideas behind a movie. I don't just want to like entertain um, which is great, but but I want to talk about ideas, you know, and he taught me that. Yeah, I see the progression. Like when you look at some of the films you made before, like Lupi Under the Sun or um, The Memories of the Future, like now to come, like culminate to this sort of you come back and said, OK, now I'm going to give you a, a historical lesson on on the Spanish conquest. So you kind of built to that and now this film is uh, there you have like some drama and some documentaries like already and then you sort of mash it up with this one from what I can see right so what were you hoping to what is there a message or something you were hoping people would take away from 499 like who was it made for when you sat down I think, I think the movie is made for Anybody who is wondering how did we get to like the current levels of violence that we have in Mexico, like how does it feel that like like history continues to repeat itself across uh, Mexico, but also here in the U.S., you know, like as the children of immigrants, like we're always trying to figure out who we are. And um, a lot of that means that we go back into our history and we have to analyze this history. And um you know, what's really crazy, I think, is like uh, during the last four years of, you know, this crazy uh, 45 presidency, um, like history was always being rewritten in the worst way, right? Like the last thing that he did, one of the last things that he did was the 1776 commission, which totally like whitewashed history with just downright lies. Um, and so we realized just how important history really is to our understanding of the problems of today, you know, like, and, and that's what I think, like, we're still struggling with here in the U.S. It's like, why do we talk about history? Why, why do we need to talk about slavery? You know, that's so long ago. Well, we're talking about what's the effects of slavery today, you know. We're not really arguing about what happened, you know, in the 1850s. We're talking about, like, what continues to happen today, and that's, that's kind of to me what what drove me to make 499 it's like you see so much violence happening in mexico so many people surviving that violence and trying to um, be uh, witnesses 
and to give their testimony to the rest of us about what they've lived through. I wanted to kind of celebrate them, but also connect their their struggle to to this, you know, 500 years of, of violence and, and conquest that keep going on. Rodrigo, um, for those who don't know, for our listeners uh, tuning in, tell us a little bit about what the film is about, how you came up with the title. I know that's kind of a basic question. Uh, it is premiering right now at the SF Indie Fest, but for those who aren't familiar with it, you know, tell us, you know, what to expect or what the film is, uh, what, what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, 499 is a story that follows um, the path that Cortez and his uh, soldiers took from Veracruz into Tenochtitlan, the Aztec capital. So they went up the beach and over the mountains and, and they got to the city and they and they fought a war there. And And so what the movie does is it follows a fictional conquistador who appears in like the beaches of, of Veracruz and he is forced to walk on the path of Cortes and to listen to the victims of modern Mexican violence. But all the people that he listens to are real. They're all real, except for him. He's an actor, but he's actually representing like all these forces of colonialism that are for the first time being forced to listen to victims and survivors, right? And so... It's a really interesting trip because his mind starts falling apart as he makes his way into the Aztec capital. Um, and so he has to kind of like learn something about himself on this on this road movie, you know. Um, so it's a fascinating like uh, kind of thing because at a certain point you don't know like is this real or is it not? You know, like where's the border between fact and fiction? And that, you know, you kind of have to let go of that to really enjoy the movie and go on, on this ride. And so I'll have to add that this is an award-winning um, film already. And one of them was a cinematography award. So how did that help? to illustrate this uh, existing between the two fictional and historical stories that you're telling like how did that come together yeah the film the film won a cinematography award in poland at like the most important um cinematography festival in the world called camera image and like uh so so the point of making a you know like a very like really working hard on the cinematography and making sure like the images are beautiful and striking is because movies like you know, like they stick with us when the images are powerful, right? Like, like images are really important. And so I wanted the movie to feel like almost like a old painting, you know, like from, from the Spanish masters. And there's a lot of colors from like, you know, the, the pre-Columbian civilizations, like they really love like certain tones of blue and certain tones of red. And we pushed the movie to those, to those colors because we wanted to really feel like an experience, not, not like, you're like sitting there and learning something, you know, like when you're in high school and your teacher's like <laughs> playing you like a movie about history. Like we wanted it to feel like, wow, like this is a real trip, you know? And, and the movie used like all like available light. So like no extra lights, nothing like that. It's just whatever was available. We worked with that and really like waited for like the best moments of the day and like the best sunlight and everything to make the most of the, of each scene. So it really feels like a painting, you know, and it, and it, it, it kind of starts to seep into your, your subconscious as you watch it. 
This is the uh, 500th anniversary of the uh, the Spanish conquest or the fall of Tenochtitlan. Um, what was that? What was that topic like for you growing up, discussing it amongst your parents, or was it discussed? You know, I'm curious as to like how you know you, you talk about the history of Mexico, betrayal after betrayal. You know, how was that? Um, how was that discussed in your household? I think like we were always like trying to talk about it and understand it just like the rest of 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 mexico is you know like we've you know our the the, the one mexican nobel prize winner octavio paz is famous for his you know like analysis of the aftermath of the conquest right um it's just like a constant theme in our in our conversation as a culture like we're constantly talking about this moment it's supposed to be like the big bang moment where like mexico is suddenly born and all this other stuff. There's so many concepts wrapped up in it. Um, but, you know, like this year will be 500 years of, of the fall of the Aztec Empire and, and of their capital city. So at the end of the day, um, what have we learned in those 500 years? And why why does some of that violence continue is, is the big question for me at this point. Not, not so much if, you know, the Spanish were right or wrong or you know, who did what right. Um, I think like we've all come to learn that, you know, in, in all this time, um, the, the powers that control Mexico have continued to like use this violence to their advantage. Right. Um, you know, it isn't like you could just say, well, it's the fault of the Spanish. I think it's it's a, something that we all have to kind of step up for. Just just like here in the U.S., like we have to step up and actually listen to to, you know, the effects of this history. So um, do you have plans for after IndieFest? Like re- releasing a, a film during a pandemic had to have come with its own set of challenges. Right. So you've I think it started the very first festival was in January of 2020. So it's been almost, well, it's been a whole year that it's been sort of making its rounds through festivals. And now you're back home and screening it here. How's it been doing it that way? And what, how will you kind of take that into the future of this film or any other films you do after it? Well, it's weird, right? Like the pandemic has us all like off balance, right? Like we can't even hang out with like many people <laughs> in our network, let alone strangers, right? And so like for me, um, you know, this film has lived online. If we if we didn't have the pandemic, we could be meeting in person. We could probably be meeting with other students that are readers of El Teco and we could be talking about the conquest after the movie, go out for drinks, whatever, right? Like there's a different sense to that experience where you like live it and you go into a movie theater and you get excited and you meet the director and you talk about the movie and you argue about it. Like all that stuff is what I'm missing the most, but I'm not alone. Like all my friends and all my colleagues who make movies are like in the same spot. And I think like people who love movies are also feeling the same thing. They're like, you know, hungry to go back into those experiences. And we don't have that many, right? Like we don't have that many films that talk about the Latino experience, right? And like, I think like being able to celebrate that in a festival, in a big packed movie theater, like I I can't wait for that to come back. But at the same time, you know, like um, we're rolling with the punches and like SFND has done a really good job of like, you know, pushing forward and really like stay, staying, you know, like vibrant and 
going with with this virtual space which is like all that we can do right now um but i've already gotten a bunch of messages from people who are going to watch the film online and uh, so it's exciting i just i just want to go back to in person as soon as we can yeah can you tell everyone a little bit about how the festival works like so it's virtual you can is it on demand is it certain days is there a q a with you that's virtual or or interactive like tell us about that so so we we did a q a that's going to be pre-recorded so because different people watch the film at different times but they can go on the sfnd website sfnd fest and then um buy a ticket to watch the film and they you just stream it off of your computer or off of your tv and, and watch it at home how is that doing the q a pre-recorded like because usually you get like that live interaction with your audience so who is it like a moderated like q a with someone yeah it's a moderated q a with uh with one of the programmers of sf indie and um you know it's just like it's a way to kind of like find the middle ground because like no you you can't schedule everybody to watch it at the same time that makes it harder for people but i think if you leave it loose then people can can be flexible with their schedule and like figure out when when it works for them um, but I think like the questions from the Q and A are very similar to the ones we're asking now, like about history, about why I wanted to make the movie, and I think that's always interesting to audiences. You know, they want to know like what made you do something that takes that much work, like a movie. Rodrigo, I'm curious. Um, you, you told Joanna a little bit about it in our in the actual Q and A that ran in the newspaper. Um, but for our listeners that didn't get to see that yet, um, tell us how you you ended up in in Oakland. And, and what that did, or in Oakland, the Bay Area, and what that did for your uh, filmmaking career. Yeah, I ended up in Oakland because I got invited to be a part of this fellowship called the Bay Area Video Coalition uh, Media Maker Fellowship. And, um, and so I was like, you know what, like, this is my chance to move to the Bay. Like, because I, I was living in Merced at the time, and I really wanted to be around more filmmakers. So I took advantage of that and just moved. And, um, you know, like, I also was able to find a job working in the Alameda County Court as an interpreter, you know, which is what I was doing in Merced, like as a day job. And so I was like, you know, this is like the signs are here. I should move. And and it's been such a great experience because it's like a big community here. And like artists are, have a lot of solidarity, like like people are like trying to like do stuff, you know, they're like really trying to build something. So um it's just been great and it's like three years ago that i that i moved here and so now i'm actually um the co-director of that same fellowship that i that i was invited to at bayvac so like it's come around full circle and i feel like i'm like kind of building my own roots now here in the bay area which is fantastic why did you choose oakland like have you been to the bay area before because i think you mentioned to me when we talked last that your sister went to school in santa cruz so did you like have an idea of where you wanted to be? Because Bayvac is in San Francisco, right? So yeah, I had an idea, but I liked I liked Oakland because it feels like a livable city. You know, like I remember like you know going to San Francisco and just feeling like all the tension ratcheting up of like you know like the gentrification and all the things that are going on in the city, and I wanted to be like in a place that I felt like I I could kind of like build build my own way of doing things and felt like oakland is way more relaxed and then i learned that like a lot of artists are moving to oakland from the city 
precisely because of those factors. So it just worked out really well. And my sister now lives here in Oakland. So like, you know, we're hanging out together. So now I have family here as well. I was going to ask you, are your parents still in Merced? Uh, do you have family still there? Or oh, Yeah, my parents are still in Merced. Okay, nice. Yeah. They haven't gone back to Mexico again. <laughs> no, they they go back, but like they, they live in Merced. Yeah. Right. So um, that's another advantage. It's like I'm only two hours away from seeing them and, you know, visiting and stuff. Rodrigo, you did mention that your your dad did not want you to be a filmmaker, <laughs> right? <laughs> what was his reaction when you know you not only put this film together, four nine nine, but the accolades it's received? Well, what's his what's been his reaction to that? Well, well, eventually my dad became a fan, <laughs> uh, which is great, right? Like, cause like honestly, like anybody, whatever we do, we want our parents to support us, you know, like. It always feels good. So um, he did come around, but it took like three or four movies, I think. I had to make like three or four movies, you know. But now, I mean, like he's like uh, he he reads everything, you know. He he's looking up the movie all the time, and like you know, um, we talk about it a lot. He's excited, um, and he finally sees how it could really like can blossom into something really cool. Like where there's a conversation with people. Like there's all these layers to it that I think he, he was just, you know, because like when, when you, you make the decision to move uh, from one country to the next, you want everything to really work out and to be super safe, you know? Um, and so I see where he was coming from, but I'm glad that now, you know, like he, he's like in my corner all the time. Well, I mean, in addition to the films and all of the, the reception it got from, you know, the industry, you've acquired a few fellowships along the way that kind of really, I, I would imagine for your dad as a teacher, that sort of like gives a lot of credibility to like, yeah, my son's actually really doing this and he's really good at it. So that, do you had a, a Guggenheim uh, fellowship, right? To help you yeah. with that. Which film was that? Do, are you still working on that project? Yeah, I got a Guggenheim for a project that I'm still working on. And then I also got a creative capital award, which is like, also like a Guggenheim, it's like an artist uh, focused fellowship. Um, yeah, so I've been really fortunate. And I think like what, what I have found really interesting is that um, all of these um, partners and supporters like really appreciate like uh, nuance and complex stories, you know, like and, and they celebrate that and they empower them. So uh, now I'm working um, with both of those fellowships. I got them for a film that I'm making about a friend of mine who's in prison. He's uh, he's serving life without um, life without parole, and I met him because I was his interpreter, like way back, like almost ten years ago. I was uh, I was his interpreter at his trial, and then we started making a movie. Um, so I, I I'm very excited about that project. I've been working on it actually during COVID, and we're hoping to release it next year. So that's kind of the next project then. Do you, is it have a title yet or is it still? Yeah, it's called Sanson and Me. You know, okay. like uh, Sanson from the Bible. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's um, I think that's incredible that you made this connection with someone that you were an interpreter for years ago, followed his journey. Now you're making a movie. 
Like it looks like the Bay Area is delivering, right? Like all these great things happened in the last couple of years with these fellowships. And like now it seems you have a ton of momentum behind all of your work. Yeah, and I really want to just tell stories that are true to what 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 I see happening in my universe. I don't want to like sugarcoat them. I don't want to like, you know, like make the classic movie where everything is okay. And you know, I want to like celebrate what people actually live with. So, like in this story with my friend, like he's living through a really hard situation, and and there aren't easy answers. But I think there's so many questions about how young men end up like caught up in the justice system. What are some of the ways that society failed them? Like, you know, like it's a, it's an interesting, it's a really interesting story that, that makes a lot of um, provocative questions. And Rodrigo, I just got a, like maybe one last uh, question here. And, you know, a lot of times like as a journalist, like I'm a journalist, right? And people say like, don't mix um you know, social justice or activism with your art or your craft. Um, you seem like with the f uh, film you just mentioned, as well as 499 and some of your others as well, it seems like that's not a, an issue for you, right? Like that's your, when you make something, um, it's going to talk about some real stuff, you know? So anyway, I just want to ask, was that accurate to say? Is that what, is that another medium for which like you can, and sorry, that's my son in the background. <laughs> <laughs> blueberries. Um, but is that, is, how does that resonate with you? Well, I think like sometimes people ask us to be apolitical, but that just erases like the very experience that we're trying to celebrate, you know, like there's so many things left to be said about like just the Latino experience alone. Right. Just even even like the Mexican-American experience, there's so many things to unravel in that in that universe that like. You know, if we're we're always like careful not to offend or to take care of people's feelings, like we're never going to get there. And you know, it cuts both ways because sometimes when when you try to be super professional, um, you're you're helping to erase like something that needs to be said. You know, and like I'm more interested in just like posing a question. You know, not necessarily like giving you the answer. So like this thing about the conquest. You know, the easy answer is to say, well, the Spanish are to blame, but Mexico has been independent for 200 years. Um, so who's to blame for what's happened in those 200 years? <laughs> you yeah. Know? It's so like it's, your shirt says, real emotions, real film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, um, I don't have any other specific questions, but is there anything that you would want people to take away from, um, like, when they go to see the film, since they can't ask you like in a Q and a afterwards, like, I don't know, something that you would say, Hey, get ready for, or think I about would, this. I would just say like, forget what you think, you know, you know, about these issues, forget what you think, you know, about the conquest, what you think, you know, about immigration and all these other issues and just, just experience it. And just, um, you know, like remember that, that art is like, a nourishment for us, you know, for our communities, for our stories, and we need to be nourished, you know, and that's that's what movies can be. So uh, hopefully, people can watch four ninety nine in Indie Fest, and if not, um, we will hopefully be doing a theatrical run in the summer once things get um, back into you know more of a normal setting. Uh, well, I'm going to watch it for sure. So yeah. I'll call you afterwards and we, maybe we can have a drink over Zoom and talk about it. Have our that own would little Q&A. That would be great. <laughs> awesome. Well, muchísimas gracias, Rodrigo. Um, you know, we really appreciate you making the time to come on. And, and thank you again just for not just coming on, but for creating 
art that actually is saying something. Thank you. Thank you, guys.